God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from City Light Church in Omaha. Here's Pastor Chris Haruska. We know as Christians, like this is a time of year where uh, we're kind of living between, if you're wondering biblically, like these two advents, right? Christ has already come as the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. Okay, so that's, that's his first adventing, his first coming, right? And now and we, we're looking forward to that day when he comes back, not as a lamb, but as a lion who's going to victoriously defeat Satan, sin, and death once and for all. So we're living between these two advents. That's where the church stands. We look back at the faithfulness of God, how he's kept his promise. We look forward to his returning. And in our passage, we're gonna meet uh, these unique characters, significant characters in the story of Christmas. And Gabriel is gonna interact with Mary. And we see these two things. One, we see, uh, we see a model of faith in Mary, okay? So the church sometimes has an interesting relationship with Mary theologically. We don't know whether she's a means of grace and a way to be access, you know, access the Father and we should pray to her. Some church traditions hold that up. We don't, but we shouldn't be too quick to rush past her. She's a beautiful model of faith. Teenage girl, plans for her life, and yet the Lord intervenes, speaks a word, and she responds in a posture of faith and service. It's beautiful. The church should look at that and be like, I hope I would surrender to the things of God like she did. It's a beautiful posture. It's worth imitating. And then you look at not just a model of faith, but the object of our faith. The announcement that is happening between this, this teenage girl and this angel is the one that we worship and sing about today. It's the hope that we hold, have when we die. His name is Jesus Christ. He is not just a, a principle or some rules that God is announcing. God is saying, listen, Christianity is not about you working your way from earth to heaven based on your own morality and rule keeping and promises to be a better version of yourself. Christianity is about a God who's come down. It's about a God who come down, came down to obey all of the rules that you were never otherwise going to be able to obey and absorb the punishment that you were never otherwise going to be able to pay off those debts. Jesus didn't just come to preach messages and be a moral example for your kids and to be an inspiration on servant-based leadership. He came to be an offering for your sin to earn and purchase salvation for you and I. That's really good news. I hope that's still good news for our church family today. So here we go. We got two invitations in our text. The first one is this, come and listen, there's good news for you. Come and listen, there's good news for you. So let's jump into verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So Gabriel, as Joe talked about, we looked at Gabriel, the messenger of the Lord last week, right? We saw his activity in the city of Jerusalem. He visited a, 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 a priest, uh, Zechariah, and let this guy know, hey, your wife, although she's old in age, although you've been unable to physically have children for decades and decades and decades, God has heard your prayer. Your wife will become pregnant and you will name this child John, and he's going to be the forerunner for this coming king. So his whole life is going to be about pointing people, hey, get ready. The king is coming. His kingdom is coming. Prepare your hearts. Wake up. Stop playing religious games and look to this person named Jesus. So that, that's what's happened. So we've met him. Now, six months have gone past since Gabriel visited um, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And now uh, Elizabeth is pregnant with John, six months pregnant. And now there's a pretty dramatic shift, okay? So if you're reading your Bible, guys, I'm gonna preach for about five to 10 minutes just on the introduction of this text. So if you're breaking this down theologically, these two verses I just read are just the introduction to the characters and the setting. Every story's gotta have an introduction to the characters and a setting. That's all this is. 
But even in the details of the Christmas story, there's things for the Christian to find hope and joy in, okay? So there's this pretty dramatic shift that's happening uh, in the text, right? An angel of the Lord was just in Jerusalem. By the way, if you know anything about Jerusalem, it is kind of the epicenter of culture and religious activity. In the temple, there's the Holy of Holies. Around the temple, there's priests and Sadducees and Pharisees. And in Jerusalem, there's politically powerful people. And there's a military outpost that uh, is tied to the Roman Empire. So there's a lot happening in Jerusalem. There's lots of people and businesses and their city walls and gates and organization and systems and structures. And, and actually uh, a density of those who would know the scriptures. But now Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, is no longer in Jerusalem. He's in Nazareth. This is a community 60 miles north. It's no bigger than maybe 100 people. It's a collection of a few dozen families, a dozen families. It's small. It's rural. It's poor. It's dusty. That's where God chose to initiate his redemptive purposes and plans and welcome the Savior of the world. Guys, later on, Jesus would grow up. He'd become very popular, preached, did miracles, fed the hungry. Big crowds would follow him everywhere. And the religious leaders started asking questions about Jesus. And they said, where is he from? And they said, oh, he's from Nazareth. And they said, what good thing could come from there, right? This is a place, physical poverty, spiritually with a bad reputation. And yet this is where Jesus is going. Now, why do I mention that? Why am I spending so much time? I'm 10 minutes in, I'm talking about Nazareth. I'm two verses in. Why? As I think that sometimes in the church, we as the people of God, maybe you, you can deal with this voice. I'm from a small town. I'm too broken of a home. I'm from the wrong part of the city. But what we, we need to see is that in the Christmas story, it's in those places that God loves to do some of his very best work. Now, why is this personal? Just confession to you, I've preached Luke chapter one probably 10 to 15, 20 times, probably read it 40 to 50 times. So I've been a Christian 20 years and I read through my Bible and I, you know, I go to church on Christmas. And so some of you guys have been Christians longer than I have. This is Luke chapter one. You've been doing this since you were three. So, so when that happens, we get so familiar with the details right? We just read over it. It's like our brains don't stop and process what's happening. And, and I just asked the God, I asked God, I said, Spirit of God, would you give me fresh eyes to see how this is personal to me this week? So that's what this is. And this was personal to me. When I read about Nazareth, I read the story of, of kind of how it was and what it was and, that, and what people would say about it. I, I thought this was personal because my story starts in the womb of a single mom, unwed, broke, college kid, right? I was raised in rental property, no AC, come on heart of the city, in a neighborhood that most people tried to drive through. And lots of people would have looked at that and said, a kid with no dad, a mom with her own issues, in and out of foster care, expelled from schools, what good's going to come from that kid? This beautiful, balding, middle-aged pastor. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. You know? And, and so I just look at that and I said, man, God has written a beautiful story and maybe in an unexpected place on my life. And I don't think if there was anybody in the city that was like, man, where's, the past, where's a pastor going to come from? They would have picked me out of a lineup of 10. But God chose to work in and through me. And I just hope that that's personal to you too. So when you go into this story, not only is there this setting and this shift, but we get introduced to these characters. You got Mary and Joseph, right? And what we know is they're engaged to get married. Mary and Joseph are probably teenagers. They grew up with each other. Like if you grew up in Nazareth, like you would grow up traveling to Jerusalem, okay? They had festivals there. Uh, they had worship gatherings there. So a number of times a year, you would just road trip with all the families from your community. And that was partly for safety and partly for community and partly because everybody just was kind of commanded to go. And so Mary and Joseph would have grown up as little 
You know, eight-year-olds running down the streets together, playing tags together, singing songs in the temple together, hearing the word together. So that, that is how they grew up. And at this time in culture, um, Joseph had to prepare a place. So they were engaged, but not married. You had to prepare a home and a place to bring home your wife. So he's working as a carpenter, blue-collar dude, trying to provide. Uh, that's not the main application, but men, I'm just saying, I got a couple daughters. If you ask to marry my daughters, there's going to be a few questions. One is, do you believe in Jesus? Okay. How do you serve the local church? Do you have a skill and a job? And do you still live in your mom's basement? Okay. The answer is, yes, I still live in my, mom, my mom's basement. The answer is a no. No, you cannot marry my daughter. So, you know, get a job, get a place, put a ring on it, stay faithful, raise some kids, and you'll change the world. It's an amazing, amazing formula that the Lord has given us to be a light to the world. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that. Okay. Not the main application, just shout out. Okay, here it is. So, so they're teenagers, right? That's Joseph. And then you got Mary. She's 12 to 14 years old. She's living with her parents. She's a virgin. She's honored the Lord with her sexuality. But when you look at Mary, like she's poor. She's young. She's uneducated. At this time, she's illiterate. There's no land, no business, right? In a worldly sense, there's nothing that stands out about Mary. She's literally a junior high girl who's planning her wedding on Pinterest. That's the modern day equivalent. She lives in a small town with a bad reputation. Now, why do I say the details, right? Again, the details. I think so often we, we look at teenagers and what cultures are going to tell teenagers and students and college students and high school kids and eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds is going to say this, you don't need to be serious about your faith. Give yourself to academics and sports and accomplishments and popularity and vanity and fun and video games and comfort and all that stuff. But you don't need to fight sin. You don't need to worship the Lord. You don't need to think about start serving in the local church. You, you don't need to be intentional to read your, your Bible. You know what? These are just kind of giveaway years. Just have fun. You only live once. YOLO, right? But I look at this and I'm like, I don't think that's biblical because I don't think that's biblical. God ushered in his kingdom, the savior of the world, was born to a teenage girl who said yes to the things of God. Like maybe, maybe, maybe as parents, grandparents, and as a church, we should have a higher standard for our kids. We should call them to understand that God can and will work in and through them right now. It's not just when you hit 30, when you just start paying taxes, when you get that big job or when you get through college, then you can get serious about your faith. I want my kids, our kids, this church family to have a vision for how God wants to work in their lives right now. Amen? It's not a later. We give them to the culture and we say, play the same games as culture. And then we wonder why they they don't have any love and affection for Christ. Back into our text. You've got Mary and Joseph, right? But then there's more than just this introduction of characters. This actually announcement about this king that's coming. So let me show you this verse 28. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favor one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. So the first thing we see is that Mary is favored by God. She's favored by God. She's going to be given the privilege of caring and birthing uh, for the very son of God. Uh, This is favor is from God because this is not Mary getting what she deserves, okay? Like this, although Mary has honored the Lord with her purity, she at some level has sinned against God, right? The Bible makes it very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So she's not deserving of this redemptive role, okay? And yet God is showing favor, showing grace, saying, 
I could use someone else, but I'm using you. I love you. I want to work in and through you. This is grace. This is mercy. This is us getting more than we deserve uh, through the gospel. And, and I just want to look at this and say, hey, when I read this, I thought, man, this is how God not just interacts with Mary. I hope you know that this is how God interacts with you, right? Religion is going to say this. You get what you deserve. So if you're a good kid, then good things are going to happen, right? If you're good to God, then he's going to move towards you, and he's going to accept you, and he's going to love you, and he's going to bless you. But if you're one of the bad kids, and you break his rules, and he's going to distance himself from you, and you've got nothing good coming from you because you get what you deserve. That's every other world religion. You've got to earn it. You've got to get it. You've got to merit it, right, through your own religious performance. But what did Mary do to deserve this, right? There's nothing, right? And so the gospel tells you in Christ, you get way more than you deserve, Because what the Bible tells us is all of us, church, are completely unworthy to find favor and grace in God. For him to give you good things, you do not deserve. That's not because you're good. It all starts because he's good. He initiates. He promises. He follows through. You break his rules. You break your promises. You're not faithful. He's faithful. You act unloving. He keeps loving. That's the gospel. If you're here today and he's sought you, he's saved you, he's forgiven you, he's blessed you, he's stirred your affections for a living God, you are favored and blessed. That's us, church. That's us. So then there's back to this announcement. What do we learn? Not just that Mary's favored by God, the church is favored by God, but we also learn that she's going to have this baby. And she would have been thinking, wait a sec, I've heard this. I've been to the temple. I've heard the scripture readings. It's been very clear that God is going to seek and save his people through a person, a coming king. He's going to feed our enemies through this one, this victor that would come. And wait a sec. I knew he was going to come through a virgin. That's been revealed in the Old Testament. I've heard those scriptures, but I'm that virgin that that king is coming through, okay? She would have been asking that, wondering that, realizing that. And what do we learn? We learn that this baby, this Jesus, this king, he's going to be named Great. He's going to be called Great. And his name is going to be Jesus. Now, why does the name Jesus matter? Because it means God saves, God rescues, God delivers. Jesus, again, is not coming just to preach sermons, do miracles, be a moral example for your kid, be some picture of servant-based leadership that you use in your company. He's coming to take on the wrath of God and defeat your greater enemies of Satan, sin, and death once and for all. And Matthew, there's an announcement. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's really good news. That's really good news. Without Jesus, you're paying for your sins. With Jesus, he's decided to step into the wrath of God and pay for him for you. That's awesome. So then you look at King David, and it says this. He's going to say, hey, he's coming, going to be from the lineage of King David, which goes all the way back to your Old Testament. God had set up a nation. King David was ruling and reigning. King David was an awesome king. He had some absolute misses in life like everybody else, but but he was a great king. And God made a covenant with King David and said, listen, from your lineage, there will become a greater king. And he will, de- he will defeat the greater enemies of God's people, not just military battles, but the greater eternal enemies. And on, on, from your lineage, this king will rule and reign and he will sit on the throne without end. And so what God is saying is that king, Mary, is coming through your womb and that king is named Jesus and he's the king of all kings. Which means, guys, when you read your Bible, it's so easy to think, man, maybe there's two different stories here. <laughs> like, like, that's how I grew up thinking. It was like, man, the Old Testament, there's a lot of rules. Ten Commandments, and there's just bloods, and there are goats, and there's like birds, and there's a... I, 
There's a lot of things you got to do. It's very busy and very bloody, and I don't know. And maybe God said, you know, the rule thing isn't working out because if you've read the, you know, the Bible, I don't know about you, but Israel does not seem to be doing the rules real well, you know? And so maybe God was like, you know what? I got to pivot off the rules. We got to pivot off the rules. We got to try something else. We got to try the grace thing. We got to try, try the Savior thing. But guys, what I'm telling you is why we're linking this announcement about this coming Jesus. It's telling one story from the Old and New Testament, saying this is a promise that I made long ago. Actually, all the way back when sin entered in the world, right? Genesis chapter three, God makes this promise that there's gonna be one that stomps on the head of Satan, the deceiver. And who is that victor that deceived Adam and Eve who's gonna be defeated by this coming king? Jesus Christ. So the Bible's telling one grand narrative, one grand story. What's our primary role? We mess things up. What's his? He redeems and saves, amen? That's what this king is coming to do. It's a beautiful picture. And so Mary doesn't have unbelief, right? Zechariah, he has unbelief. He's like, I don't think it's gonna happen because my wife's old. Mary doesn't have that question. He, she actually has faith, but she just has a few questions. Like, how's this gonna exactly take place? Um, because there's some cause and effect. It's a family Sunday. There's children in the room. I won't get into it completely, but she's trying to figure out, like, I think somebody's gotta bring some chromosomes and I gotta bring some chromosomes. They gotta do a little dance thing. You guys don't remember high school class? You guys gotta both bring something to the equation? Okay, well, don't Google that either. Okay, so, so she's asking how. Here's what, she, here's what the Lord says. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has, has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Nothing for nothing will be impossible with God. Some really cool Bible imagery here, if you're a Bible nerd. Um, one of the things that you see in Genesis at the very beginning of creation is the activity of the Holy Spirit is there in creation. So the Spirit of God is hovering over creation as our physical universe is being created. And then now you see the Holy Spirit hovering over the womb of Mary in this creation of this new Adam that won't fall into sin, but will redeem us from our sin, okay? And so the Spirit of God is literally creating the very body that the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is going to step into and put on. And what we see then is this comforting word for Mary, right? Uh, it's like the angel answers the how, the spirit is going to do it, but also says, by the way, if you need more evidence, go talk to your cousin Elizabeth because Elizabeth is also pregnant and God has done a miraculous work. And by the way, just in case you need to be reminded of our God, Mary, there's nothing impossible for our God. This is what God does. He can do the impossible. Uh, he can forgive sinners, he can soften hard hearts. He can part seas. He can make a way. He can heal brokenness. Our God can do anything. There's nothing impossible for our God. Now, before I move on, let me just say, like, I don't know about you, but like in Christmas time, my phone, it just feels like there's constant notifications. So I open up my email and it's like Amazon's like there's 30% off. And then I get on like social media and like they figured out that I kind of, I don't have a lot of shoes, but like I kind of secretly want a lot of shoes. Does anybody else know that? Like, like if I could just buy Jordans full time for a living, I would do that. I would just buy Jordans because I love them. And I only have one pair. Don't worry. You're all judging me. Like, Ooh, he's one of them preachers and sneakers. Ooh, okay. I knew it. I was waiting for him to put on. No, like take a deep breath. I'm not that guy. But somehow social media has figured out that I kind of secretly do want more Jordans, okay? So, so I, like every, I open up my phone, and wherever I go, there's a notification, right? Somebody liked something, somebody commented on something. I got an email about a sale somewhere. 
And I just think that all of us as a church, we're just constantly overwhelmed with things pulling for attention and notifications and announcements that like, we put the announcement that Jesus Christ is stepping out of heaven into earth and coming through the womb of a virgin at the same level as that kind of announcement we see every day. This is the kind of announcement that gives us hope and joy and peace. It's the kind of announcement that reminds us of the God that we worship, that he keeps his promises, that he's faithful to an unfaithful people, that he will do what he says he will do, and there's no limiting the power of our God, amen? So I just want the church to just to remember, don't put this in the same box as you would put some of those other emails and notifications in your life. Would we respond to it in worship and in awe? Number two, the first one is come and hear the good news, but second one is come and see a posture of faith worth imitating. So again, the tension here with Mary is just like all of us in this room, you have a plan for your life. You have plans for your week. You have hopes and dreams and aspirations. You have things that you want to see play out. You have relationships that you want to cultivate. You have places you want to go, things that you want to experience. And Mary had all of those for her life. So now just imagine how Mary would be feeling after hearing she's going to carry the very son of God. Imagine as a little Jewish girl who had Jewish mom and dad, and you grew up going to the synagogue and visiting Jerusalem and singing the songs and memorizing the scriptures. And now you've got to tell her how you got pregnant, them how you got pregnant. Imagine sitting down with Joseph and saying, hey, guess what happened today? Took a little prayer walk, was really enjoying God. There's this angel named Gabriel. He came, said, I'm favored, favored, and uh, comes to find out you get to be the stepdad of God. So I'm pregnant, but it didn't happen like you think it happened, right? How would that conversation go, right? For Mary to say yes to God was going to be massive disruption to her plans for her life. For her to choose obedience to God in this moment was surely going to lead to massive uncertainty. She could be asking, is Joseph going to break off the engagement? Will I end up poor, single, with a suspect reputation and spend the rest of my life being ridiculed by my peers and a disappointment to my parents? Like, there's, in this context, to get married, this is like pretty much everything, okay? This is the decision you make as a woman. Um, this, this whole covenant that you would have, it's your means to financial security. It's your means to um, reputation in your community. It's your means to retirement. At this point, you don't check people into a home. It's your children and your grandchildren that take care of you when you get old. It's like this whole society, and they took this as such a big deal in the Jewish culture that if you pull off your engagement, break it off based on infidelity, if that was what she's accused of, they could stone her to death. Guys, not only would she miss an opportunity to build a stable life for herself, this could truly just cost her her life. But look at Mary's response. It's worth imitating. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So Mary here, what is she doing? Not more questions, not pros and cons, not, hey, can we do this some other time? Because I just, I got, if I got a ring on it, it would change everything. But right now, perception would be bad. That's not the game she plays with God. She says, yes, you're the leader of my life. My future is yours. My security, my hope, my relationship, my reputation, it's all in your hands. Like sometimes, again, I hinted that like, the church doesn't always know what to do with Mary. Like the Catholic church is gonna say, ah, she was sinless. She's a means of grace. If you want favor from the father, you can pray to Mary. We don't believe that. We believe that she's a sinner like all of us saved by faith in Jesus Christ, okay? That's Mary. But we also don't dismiss her. Guys, her faith is beautiful and challenging and radical. And it, honestly, for me, I, this is personal. So Mary is not an object of our faith, but does serve as a model of it. I wonder, have you ever said to Jesus, I'm your servant? Write your plans 
and your will over my life. See, the temptation as the church is for us as God's people to say, thank you, Jesus, for covering my past. Woo, that was crazy. I have some really unforgettable moments. I would love those just to be washed away under the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, right? We sing about it. Thank you for all you did. Thank you for where you're taking me when I die. But in this present moment, we want to operate like the king of our lives. You can have my past and you can have my eternity, but just let me control my right now, right? That's not Mary. She's yielding to God. She's saying, Lord, my life is yours. Now, let me confess to you, this was personal to me. I sat down with my wife and we had a conversation about it. And we just, I just, we both kind of tell stories about like times in our life that just seems simpler and less complex. Can I say that? And for me, I met Jesus at 18. I was in college at Wayne State, which is barely college, but you know, it's, it's, it's a college. So uh, not a university. Anyway, so you go and I remember meeting Jesus and I started reading my Bible falling in love with Jesus and started realizing like, how did the heroes of the faith, you have leveraged their life. Like you read about Paul and Peter and these incredible people in your New Testament that are like, at any personal expense, Lord, I wanna be used by you. That means I get whipped, I wanna be used by you. If that means I lose reputation, I wanna be used by you. Like if that means I get bit by a snake on an island with some random people that don't even speak my language, like I wanna be used by you. Have you read this thing? It, It paints a picture of Christianity that's not comfortable, but there was a surrender and then I started telling some of my high school friends about Jesus and coming back and leading some people on my dorm floor into faith in Christ and showing up to church with people that wanted to get baptized. And somebody was like, I think you're an evangelist. And so they gave me a book by Billy Graham. And so now I'm reading about Paul and Peter and Billy Graham and how he went all over the world. And it was hard. He didn't get to see his wife and his kids and he was gone. And yet he wanted to be used by the Lord. And there was nothing, he, nowhere he wouldn't go to tell people about the love of Christ. So I just remember saying, I'm in. Like my net worth is $4. Everything I got can fit in the back of this Honda Civic. But God, whatever I got is yours, right? Whatever I got is yours. Wherever you, whatever story you want to write over my life, right? And I meant it. I meant it. Theologically, I still affirm that Jesus Christ is my king and that I've taken up citizenship in his kingdom and he's called me for a mission, right? And I'm his servant. And I I would check that box on a theological exam all day and I'll preach it from right here. But Friday night comes, right? And who's the king in my life? Yeah, because guess what slipped into the the main driver's seat of my life? Comfort and control, comfort and control. How do I stay comfortable? I don't wanna be around anybody that's gonna need anything from me. And I wanna control access to my life and act in a self-protecting way. And so subtly what happens is, Jesus, you don't have room to my finances, I'm already given. So no, don't ask me to give more. Uh, I, do, I can do a couple of discipleship meetings here and there, but don't, don't ask for my evenings, only my mornings, right? And I start to just set all these things. And before you know it, I've boxed into God and say, like, where's there even room for him to work? If he had a word for me to say, I want you to do this thing, I would probably negotiate with him. In three months, I'm available, Lord, use me then, right? And so I just wanna say, church, is that, is that just me? Or can you put yourself on the throne of your life? And can we, can we whatever we do with Mary, we read this story and we're like, man, good for her. What an example. And then you're like, wait a sec. If a 12-year-old girl responded and she had everything to lose and we're like, yeah, I, I couldn't have another Christian over this time. It's just way too busy, right? We should be convicted by that if we've, we failed to surrender and say, I'm a servant of the Lord. So uh, for Christians, I just wanna encourage us. 
Would we not act in a self-protecting way where we acknowledge Jesus as king, but then put ourselves on the throne and try to protect our lives, our savings, our time, our future, but we say, Jesus, it's all yours. I wonder this year what, what needs to happen. What person do you need to invite over? What person do you need to forgive? What relationship do you need to cultivate? I wonder what the spirit of God has been probably calling you into for maybe years, weeks, days, I don't know. Um, but God is relentless with me, and I'm so thankful for that. I try to tell him, hey, later, I'll do it. He just keeps hounding me, which is an absolute grace of God um, that he brings things back to my attention. So I wonder what God's been calling you to do. I wonder if we would surrender and say yes, what kind of things he would want to do in and through our church. If you're not yet a Christian, I think the invitation is to see that the gospel that Christianity preaches is not that you get to come and hang out with us and listen to songs and find friends and Try to be a better version of yourself, and maybe at the end of the life, you know, God would have favor on you and you would get in. That's not what God wants. God does not want you to try harder, do better next year. God wants you to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. That's where Christianity begins, realizing you are never going to be able to save yourself, but Jesus Christ has come from earth to heaven to do it for you. That's really good news. Would you believe in him today? Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Chris Haruska of City Light Omaha. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.